Hey guys, this is the C3 Church Malmo podcast. I am believing God will speak to you today and that a greater level of faith will be unlocked in your life. For more information about C3 Church, go to c3malmo.se. God bless. guys you guys can grab your seats again welcome to church so good to have you in the house of the lord this morning i'm going to welcome my good friend and pastor justin style week six of our series uh we're going eight weeks a journey through the lord's prayer and uh, last week we heard from pastor christelle and she was sharing her experience with unanswered prayer. And we're reflecting on the passage, your will be done. And we will continue in that verse today with uh, on earth as it is in heaven. So if we zoom out a little bit, how does it go? It goes, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are essentially praying. What we're saying here is, Lord, have your way in my life right here in Malmö. So our vision is simply that, as a church. It's in Malma as it is in heaven. Now, we know that Jesus said, I will build my church. So we aren't really looking as a leadership team and as a church, we aren't really looking for a new vision for the church. And during our Vision Builder Sundays that we have coming up, we will discuss instead a strategy to fulfill his vision. We believe scripture calls us to live as mature, missional disciples in order that we would experience Jesus' vision of life in Malmo as it is in heaven. So our mission as a community of faith is to bring heaven to earth by seeking God's presence daily, intentionally following Jesus, and participating in his redemptive mission. I love that mission statement. I hope you guys too. too. Um, now, to see God's kingdom come, his will be done in our world as it is in heaven, we sometimes need our perspectives to be shifted. And it starts with us. Today, we're talking about contemplative prayer. And before I get into what that exactly is, I want to suggest that if we truly want to follow Jesus with our lives in doing the will of the Father, then we need to include contemplation in our seeking of him. As I hope you'll see today, contemplation is the way we begin to see things as the Father sees it. Now, I'm sure this week, Many of you received or you bought some beautiful flowers this week for Valentine's Day. Don't bring it up in our household. Might be out of this week. Um, uh, and they were likely bought at a florist with the stems cut back, leaving just the pretty parts of the flowers, right? And avid gardeners like my wife, they can tell you that these flowers once had an intricate network of roots that lay deep under the soil and actually sustain the beauty that you see in the flowers that you receive. And therein lies a truth for us. A beautiful life is sustained by a deep life. 
The Emotionally Healthy Spirituality course teaches us that real transformation is only possible through a deep interior life with Christ. Now, contemplative prayer is really like those flowers where we put down our roots into our relationship with God. It's much more about being than doing. It's the hidden life with Jesus that sustains the public life. That's that principle that you hear about in Matthew 6. Now, Strahan Coleman, I don't have this um, up on the screen, I don't think. He, he wrote this. He's an author of a book called Beholding, which I just finished. Fantastic book I can recommend. And he talks about being with God before doing for God. He says, we need to restore the great commandment to the center over and above the great commission. So the great commandment to, to love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. That needs to be front and center before the great commission that he's called us to. That's where we start. Because ultimately, love is the measure of spiritual maturity. When we're talking about mature missional disciples, it's how well we love. It's not a love for your life or a passion for your agenda, but as Dallas Willard says, to will the good of others, to become a more loving people. That's when you know that you're imitating Christ. You're following his example. Now, perhaps a more helpful way to see contemplation is just sitting with Jesus. It's going beyond our meditation on scriptures or going through our list in petition and instead just seeking communion with God, seeking fellowship with him. Contemplative prayer it's when we use our minds, it's when we use our hearts, and sometimes our imaginative ability to recognize God's presence and to fix our gaze on him. And it's often characterized by quiet, stillness, and simply just resting in God's presence. Now, I feel like I'm still on a journey with this, and Matthew gave me kudos for being a contemplative person. I, I defer to Shettle in this area, I would say. But, but back when I first started following Jesus, I think I possibly just saw prayer as this great big switch lever that we had. If I could just do enough petition, intercession, maybe a little bit of spiritual warfare, eventually I'd trigger a breakthrough and activate all the prophecies hanging over my life and others around me that maybe I could even detonate this big thing called revival that got us all excited. And I've definitely seen some miracles in my life, and I still do. And I believe we are witnessing some of the first fruits of revival in our part of the world, in Sweden, in Europe, absolutely. But then there's, I, I'm still trying to be faithful in those kinds of prayer, but we we also, as we heard last week, we also experience unanswered prayers, like we heard last Sunday from Pastor Christelle. So there is this tension that I have to recognize between prayers that seem to work and prayers that don't seem to be working, between God's will and our role. And that can lead us to ask some deep questions about what prayer really is. 
How does it work? What are the deeper dimensions that are more about being rooted in God and not just doing and trying to make stuff happen? Now, the contemplative tradition is really deep in Christian history. Back in the 16th century, a Spanish nun called Teresa Avila mentioned her in a previous message. She described contemplation as nothing else than an intimate sharing between friends. It means taking time frequently to be alone with him who we know loves us. And then there's Richard Foster, who's a Quaker writer. Maybe don't hear so much from those guys. And he describes it as a loving attentiveness to God. He says that, Talk recedes into the background, and feeling, this is important, feeling comes to the foreground. So all the definitions of contemplative prayer circle the same three basic themes, if you like. Firstly is that contemplative prayer is consumed with God's love. Secondly, it's mostly a quiet or a wordless form of silent meditation upon Christ in which we just enjoy his presence without doing or saying anything. And thirdly, it's experiential rather than logical. It's, as we just heard, an intimate sharing. It's a trusting openness. It's a feeling that comes to the foreground. So you could say that contemplation is more like stargazing, just taking in the beauty of it than astronomy, where we're trying to explain away what's going on. It's more like listening to jazz, just being moved by the music, than hearing a lecture. It's that bit of your brain, you know, the other side. It, we all know how to do it, but this is about doing it in prayer. It's kind of like sitting or even walking quietly, enjoying God's presence and meditating on his love without really pulling out our wish list and asking him for a whole bunch of stuff. But we mustn't assume that it's easy because it's actually quite tricky to be really, to just to be still and be present in that way. And if you've done Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, you know it is a challenge. And I don't know if you've noticed, but things like meditation and spirituality today are quite popular in our part of the world. Even though most don't identify as religious in their doing. But it's not Christian forms of meditation, as you'll discover. And so it might set off alarm bells in you when we talk about these practices, which aren't commonly spoken of, maybe, in our circles of Christianity. It could sound foreign to you, and you might, therefore, be a little skeptical in what I'm talking about today. Well, first of all, contemplative prayer is definitely biblical. I kind of want to scream that one out because this belongs to us, all right, as Christians, and it's important. Go right back to the Old Testament. King David says, may the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. That's Psalm 19, 14. Elsewhere, he declares this in Psalm 62, 5, for God alone, O my soul, wait in silence. So this is a contemplative approach to prayer right here in the Old Testament. Now, the most famous verse, of course, I think one of Shethel's favorites, Psalm 46, 10, 
be still and know that I am God. <laughs> Thank you. There's something about stillness that enables us to encounter God. Now, if we go into the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, for example, says in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray continually. Well, that can't just mean continually talking, right? Because no one does that, at least some more than others, but not, not all the time, right? There has to be some pause, right? And it's not just bombarding God with words, Now, this isn't new age or, or mindfulness. This is something that Jews and Christians have done for years, like, like for always, basically. This is just an essential part of Judeo-Christian prayer. But when we meditate and contemplate, and I get emails all the time at work, like, join us for mindfulness exercise. We're not trying to empty our minds that's one of the big distinctions. We are seeking to fill them, to focus them fully on the person of Jesus. All right, you with me? How do we do this? Well, I want to take an example from Acts 10. So let me get that open. Here we are in Acts 10. I've put the whole passage in the Bible app. I've broken it down on the screen for you. It's quite a large section. So I'll paraphrase a little bit. So let me set the scene here. At this point, we're about a decade after Jesus' ascension. And the church is still exclusively a kind of sect of Judaism known as the Way. And we hear this story of a Roman centurion who was a God-fearing man, it says, and he gave to the poor. And he prayed regularly. You could say he had really good qualifications for being a disciple. But there's just one problem with this guy. He's not Jewish. He's a Gentile. So we pick it up in verse 3. And it says this. One day at about 3 in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up to me as a memorial offering before God. So after praying, Cornelius had a vision. God heard your prayers. Go fetch a man named Peter. Now, I picked this passage because I think it illustrates the process of contemplation. See, because it starts with meditation, and that is the me and God stage. Cornelius was like praying the prayer of the hours, as we know. Um, back in those times, the Jewish people, they would pray at 9 a.m., they would pray at noon, and they would pray at 3 p.m. every day. For Jewish people... Uh, that was common practice, and he was likely influenced by this culture because that's where he was uh, situated. And so he was likely, or potentially reading as the Jewish people do, they would, they would, pray, they would pray scriptures. It was written prayers. You could, today we call it liturgical prayers. So written prayers that they would re uh, read at these specific times in the day. And these kinds of prayers, I want to say, if you haven't grown up in a tradition of reading written prayers liturgical prayers, so actually reading from, from a book or reading from the scripture, 
They're so important because they actually form us. They shape our thoughts. They shape who we are. They get us thinking from a different point of view. But if we aren't used to these rhythms of prayer, I'm trying to learn them myself. It's hard work to get the focus, right? That is why it's such a gift to learn these daily rhythms. It will form you and make you ready to receive. And the second part there is contemplation. Meditation becomes contemplation. That is God and me. It switches from me and God to God and me. In other words, the center of gravity is shifting now, and I become less aware of myself and more aware of God. Cornelius saw the angel of the Lord, it says. Through meditation of prayer, he was attentive to the presence of God. God doesn't he can't show up when we're busy, when we're, we're off doing something else. We have to have, he has to have our attention. And then thirdly, and this is really ultimately the goal, contemplation really comes into its fullness, and this doesn't always happen, if I'm being honest, when it comes into communion. I would, that is where it's no longer just me and God or God and me, it's just God. We're just so aware of him that we really stop thinking about ourselves. And Cornelius staring into the face of the angel asking, what is it, Lord? You have my full attention. And the angel spoke back to him. So let's continue in verse 9. It says this, about noon. Sorry, so Cornelius, I, I missed that bit. So Cornelius after that, was told to go and find a man named Peter to be continued. Verse 9. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up to the roof to pray. It was noon. That's what he does. Goes up to the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. So now Peter, praying the morning prayers, uh, praying the, the noon prayer, shall I say, has this contemplative moment, a trance, which actually simply means a euphoric experience outside of yourself, which is interesting. It's the same word as the word ecstasy today. He has a vision of a sheet coming down from heaven containing all sorts of creatures that are considered unclean to the Jewish faith. And yet, it says here, then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Now, this was repeated three times, and then it says in verse 17, while Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Canidas found his house and called out for him. 
Now, while it says, it says in verse 19, while Peter was still thinking about the vision, he's still pondering the meaning, the Spirit said to him, Simon, free men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with, with them, for I have sent them. So what just happened here? Two men meditating in their time of prayer, as they do, had their perspectives radically shifted in a contemplative experience that led eventually to the first Gentile convert to the Christian faith and the opening of the floodgates for the fulfilling of the Great Commission. I think that's astounding. Like, I just thought about the fact that, what, 10 years had passed and still the, like, the, the church was struggling? Like, there was no Gentiles there? Like, it was just a, like a small Jewish sect? Like, I thought things just exploded. No, some perspectives had to be shifted. And it was only when Peter had that perspective shift in a time of contemplation that he realized what the next step was for the church. Consequently, God was also revealing that to the Apostle Paul at the same time. And that's so often what has to happen. If we want to see God's kingdom built, if we want to see God come on earth as it is in heaven, we need to have our perspectives shifted. Brian Zahn says it this way, contemplation helps bring us to a place to see the world anew. And I don't know about you, but to mature and to grow in love, I sometimes need to see things like Peter from a new perspective, a perspective that shifts from me to others. Because I can't be a good husband, a good father, or a colleague, or even a pastor, whatever title you might have, if it's on my terms and serve from my perspective. When we spend time just sitting with Jesus, our perspectives can make the necessary shift for us to be who we need to be in that season. Because what we really need is first to be with him. So meditation, this is just us focusing our thoughts on the Lord. Let's just talk practically about how we do that. You might just sit really quietly or walk slowly. And one of the things that will be most helpful in focusing on the Lord in meditation is obviously the Bible. This, and this might not be some big, heavy Bible study, though. It could be just finding one little bit of the Bible, one passage, one scripture, and just use that as a window to help you focus on God's presence. You're reading here for revelation and encounter, not for education and information, as much as I love to do that. And the Bible talks about this. In fact, the very first sentence of the psalm says this, blessed is the one who meditates on God's law day and night. You don't just do it on the Bible. You could meditate on those flowers you received. Creation reveals the creator. Look at the beauty the symmetry, the wonder of the thing. Obviously, the Bible is the best. It's all in there. But wherever you are, you can focus in on something that is a gateway into becoming more aware of God's presence and his goodness. Or you could look at a picture. A lot of traditions do this. All around us, these are these windows that can help us to step into an awareness of the presence of God that is all around us. And breathe deeply and well. Right? That's part of just being still and 
probably don't need a Bible for us to talk about you should breathe well. It's like a biology. But it really helps to get you still and quiet. Repeat maybe a simple prayer phrase that can be a helpful thing at this stage. It could be praying in tongues. It could be using the Franciscan prayer phrase, my God and my all. I often just sit there and say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father. I'm breathing deeply. Maybe I'm looking at something beautiful or reading something beautiful, thanking Jesus. This is entering into contemplation through meditation. And as you do that, you'll find that gradually your center of gravity shifts from you and God to God and you. In other words, the start. Now, it's hard work to make yourself focus on God, but as you do that, he will start to kind of take center stage in that moment. And this is what Jesus says in Matthew 6, 6, in the message version, is a really nice translation. He says, the focus will shift from you to God, and you will begin to sense his grace. That's meditation becoming contemplation. This is the kind of space when words become less necessary. And this is when I'm no longer, I'm getting to the point of communion then. This is where I'm no longer even consciously doing this thing called worship or prayer. It's like I forget myself completely in it. Actually, it's almost as if time stops. And I think that's significant. It's almost like we step into eternity, but for a moment. There was a desert father more than 1,700 years ago praying in the Egyptian desert. Antony of the desert, his name was. And he said, perfect prayer is not to know that you are praying. So it's unself-conscious. Now, you may be thinking this sounds amazing, and I would like to be like that, but it sounds like maybe this might be pretty rare for a normal person like me. Now, you'd be amazed how much we already contemplate without realizing it. Let's take an example. You go to church, I can see. Thanks for coming. And everyone sings songs, hopefully. And so phase one is meditation, right? You're thinking about what you had for breakfast. Um, I've realized I forgot to eat breakfast. So you get a Mars bar from Charlie. Thanks for that, Charlie. And so you, you, you're thinking about all these things, and some lyrics come up on the screen, uh, hopefully, and you're doing this thing of, uh, I'm going to focus on God and, uh, through this song, and that's meditation. You're focusing on the lyrics, right? You're focusing on what you're singing. Then often what happens is you come to a point where actually you stop thinking about the fact that you were hungry or whether your breath smells, whatever, because you're focusing on God now. It's moved to contemplation, to God and me, right? And then sometimes in worship, and Sally, this isn't every single time we come to church, right? You forget about the lyrics. You forget that you're actually standing amongst some strangers, maybe. You forget that you're singing these songs because you're really caught up in the presence of God. Has anyone ever experienced that? You're just caught up in the presence of God. That's when contemplation has come into its fullness. It's real communion with God. Does anyone recognize that? Or here's one that applies to everybody. So like you don't even have to go to church here. 
because I want to show that we're all wired for contemplation. When you go to the cinema, you go on a contemplative journey, believe it or not. Phase one, you sit down, you got your popcorn, you got your drink, you're slightly annoyed by the person kicking your chair, maybe, all of these things, right? And you're trying to get into the film, right? So it's meditation. I want to get into this. I hope this is going to be good, had good ratings. I want to commit to this because I want to go somewhere. I want to go on an adventure. Then if the film's good, it becomes just the film of me. I forgot about that annoying person behind me. You become less aware of your surroundings, the fact that you're sitting in a cinema. You're more caught up in what's going on with the screen. You're into it. That's how I felt when we saw Top Gun. It was good, eh? <laughs> this is more like meditation. Uh, this is more like the meditation has become contemplation. And then if it's not just a good film, if it's a really great film, again, Top Gun, then what happens is you forget that you're at the cinema altogether. You just totally caught up. Maybe Matthew next to you is crying. Um, yeah, actually happened. And uh, <laughs> you don't think you're watching actors. You're so engrossed in the storyline, right? You, you're in that moment, and you're out of time. You're, you're, you're just actually having this euphoric experience, right? It's beautiful. It's this wonderful experience to be involved with a film like that. And that is when you really stepped into the true contemplative space. So really, what I want to say is we are all wired for contemplation. Right? I think that's what we crave, actually, in art, in sex, in moments of sporting euphoria, in deep conversations with friends. You know, those kinds of timeless conversations you have when you're out in nature, these are the experiences that carry us to a place beyond ourselves in some way. As Christians, we know that Jesus is the ultimate destination and desire of our human souls. You might be sitting there thinking, oh, this sounds a little bit escapist, right? Like, you know, it's just you're, you're kind of burying your head in the sand and you're not dealing with, like, real needs out there, like the mission, the Great Commission. Isn't that the most important thing? But, you know, if you look at the example of Isaiah in chapter 6, he has this amazing contemplative experience. He's caught up into heaven and he sees God and his angels in and the seraphim, and it's like this mystical encounter, right? And that, though, is the context in which he says, who can I send? Who will go? And Isaiah goes, send me. He gets his commission out of the contemplative encounter. I think contemplative prayer is actually what makes our mission sustainable and meaningful. It's kind of where we refuel. One of the great examples of this is Mother Teresa, when she received her Nobel Peace Prize, she made this speech. We may be doing social work in the eyes of the people, but we're really contemplatives in the heart of the world. We are touching the body of Christ 24 hours a day. We have 24 hours in his presence. There's so much suffering, so much hatred, so much misery, and we, with our prayer and with our sacrifice, are beginning at home. Love begins at home. And it's not how much we do, but how much love we put into the action that we do. What a woman. <laughs> so to this day, Mother Teresa's missionaries of charity order are exactly that. They are contemplatives in the heart of the world. They are out there. They are ministering uh, to Jesus in the poor and in the dying. That's what makes it sustainable for them. They're not just social workers doing good deeds. You'll burn out like that. 
If you just keep on caring for people, there'll be more people to be cared for. They'll just keep coming, more broken people. There's a lot of them out there. What makes it sustainable is they're not doing it as a mission or as justice. They're doing it as worship. They are encountering Jesus in the poor. So contemplation, it begins with meditation on the scripture. Maybe finding him in the beautiful stuff of life. But actually it comes to its fullness when we're so aware of God's presence that we can see him, especially in the poor and the broken and the marginalized, as we can read in Matthew 6, 6. And as much as you've done it to the least of these, you've done it to me. You can find me in the poor and in the broken. That's Mother Teresa's message as well. For too long, the church has been divided between the people who do social justice or do evangelism and the people who do prayer. The prayers of the monks up there, they're just you know, hiding away, apparently, according to some people. And then there's the people out there on the front lines doing all the work. And we kind of see it as two different things, right? But to me, they're integrated. They can't be separated. It belongs together. Really, contemplative prayer is where it all meets. Because in experience, the presence of God, we become infectious with his presence to the wider culture around us in Malma. So in a way, this is the most powerful kind of prayer there is. I feel like I'm lobbying for my week. Contemplative prayers where it's like, <laughs> can I ask the band to come up as we draw their close? Pete Greig puts it like this. He says, prayer at its simplest is just asking God for stuff. It's the simplest kind of prayer. It's not a bad one, but there's more. Prayer at its best is a two-way conversation. Prayer at its deepest is communion. It's silent, it's loving relationship with God. Where do you find inspiration for your time of contemplation? I would say anything that can cause you to be still, to be silent, and to be open to God. Maybe that's out going on a hike, looking at art, just meditate on scripture. Find your places of contemplation. Now the enemy of contemplation, of course, is hurry, it's noise, it's busyness. And just before we want, we're going to close, I want to share one experience that really opened my eyes to the power of contemplation that I shared during Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. My first experience, I'm only, what, turning 42 this year, so I haven't experienced that much loss in my life. But my first experience of losing someone close to me was my grandfather, or Papa, as we call them in Scotland. It's a little bit confusing if you live in Sweden. And it was expected. He had been ill for quite long. I was actually in Sweden. I had to fly home for his funeral. And so, like, I just come from Bible school, so I was, like, being all pastoral, being strong for the family, consoling people. I kept busy with the practical things. I even shared his eulogy at the funeral. I don't think I actually cried at the funeral. I was just consoling other people. And people were like, you're so strong. And um, it wasn't until, like, months later that I was asked to go and get something. Because so, I was really close to my grandfather. He lived around the corner, so I used to just run to his house, and we used to sit and have breakfast, and he would share wisdom about Sir Alex Ferguson and Manchester United um, and conservative politics and all that stuff. And 
And so I, I learned so much from him. And, and um, so I come into his house, and nobody was home. It was completely silent in his house. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I see his chair there, where he always sat. And in that moment of silence, I took a pause. I reflected on those memories. Those conversations we had. And it was just a flood of emotion. All the tears come out. It just kind of really hit me that he was gone. You see, what I realized looking back on that is that grieving requires contemplation. We process the fact that person is no longer present in our life. And interestingly, life with Jesus requires contemplation. Because we need to process the fact that God in heaven is present. Contemplative prayer, it can give you a perspective change that you can't get in any other way. So I hope you see today that this is something precious that we need to enter into and allow God to make those perspective shifts in our, in our hearts. Because if we want to see in our lives in Malma as it is in heaven, we need to sit with Jesus. Let's just stand. I would like to pray for us all this morning before we draw to a close. Oh, Father, God, we thank you so much for loving us and for calling us your friends. Thank you that you love us deeply and eternally. God, I pray that you would help us, help us respond to your love with a love for your presence, for a love of sitting with Jesus and to give you our full attention that you deserve. Lord, we're sorry for the times in prayer where we've been scattered and distracted. And when we come into prayer, just basically with our wish list of things to do and nothing more, with no more time to give you, we want to ask you, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to be still and to know you that we would allow ourselves to be formed by your words and that you would shift our perspective where they need to be shifted. Lord, make us contemplatives in the heart of our world. May your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven.